Welcome to The Ground Jewels. I'm your host, James Dixon, and today I am excited. So, so excited. And yes, excited about the guests we have and the ground that we're going to talk about. But I'm excited because I, as you're listening to this, well, if you're listening to this on the day that it goes out, I am in Dublin. And last night, I would have gone to the Glasgow versus Toulon match, the European Challenge final uh, at the Aviva Stadium. And it's going to be my first time in the Aviva Stadium. And that's just going to be the warmer for today's big game, uh, the game between Leinster and La Rochelle to decide the Heineken Cup. One of the big days of the rugby calendar. I love, love these big finals. I love Dublin for the rugby. And I'm getting to go with my mate Paddy and his cousin Simon. And we're going to have a great day out of the rugby in one of Europe's top party cities, Dublin. And I can't wait to, and I can't wait to cover the Aviva uh, or Lansdowne Road or Croke Park in a future episode because Dublin is one of my favourite cities in the entire world, particularly for sport. We're also going to be there for the same day. There's the big Katie Taylor fight. There's going to be so much anticipation, uh, so many sports fans in the city. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, And it's completely apt that we're talking to the guests that we're talking to this week. Uh, We're talking to the comedian Mike Bubbins and we're talking about Cardiff Arms Park. All right. That's Wales. I'm talking about Ireland in the intro. But Cardiff Arms Park, the National Stadium at Cardiff Arms Park, was the home of the very first Heineken Cup final in 1996, when Toulouse beat Cardiff in extra time. Heartbreak for Wales on that occasion. And I guess it comes up a little bit in the interview with Mike, but what Wales would give for the club rugby scene to just have the opportunity to lose in a a European final at the moment. They're really struggling not having a great time with the national team, but it's even worse at the at the regional level um, with the Ospreys, the Scarlets, the Blues and the Dragons. Um, it's been over five years since uh, a Welsh team even won a knockout game in the Heineken Cup. Um, they're nowhere to be seen this season in the latter stages of the competition. And for rugby fans, that's sad because I always feel, particularly for Northern Hemisphere rugby fans, when Wales are strong, it's it's more interesting. Um, Great that Scotland are on the up, great that Scotland are doing well at national level, that Glasgow um, have got to the uh, secondary final. Going to be lots of Scots in Dublin this weekend. That always makes for a great atmosphere and a bit of a party. But yeah, so this episode's about rugby, my my journey to Dublin for the rugby and uh, and Mike's experience of, of the rugby at the Cardiff Arms Park. But before we get to Mike, I just wanted to let you know at the end, after his interview, I'm going to be introducing a little competition where you can win some lovely art, nominate a a ground for inclusion in this show, and I'll explain how to do that after we've heard from Mike. Today we're joined by a comedian, a throwback, and a House of Games champion. He had a great pandemic launching a smash hit podcast. Our guest is one third of the socially distanced sports bar in that he undertakes none of the admin makes no references to 19th century Welsh agricultural protests, but does 100% of the dick jokes. Mike Bubbins, welcome to The Grand Jewels. Thank you very much. Cheers, James. Wonderful intro. I'd say 90% of the dick jokes, by the way. I wouldn't say 100%. Al will put the occasional dick joke in. Steph put the occasional dick joke in. But yeah, mostly. I'd say the lion's share. And probably, you know, you do about 10% of the references to the Rebecca riots as well. Yeah, I dabble. You know, I have dabbled. I've talked about the old... uh, 
social justice in West Wales in the 18th century, whatever it was. <laughs> I don't know when it was. Alice is your man for that. Very happy to have you here on the Grand Jewels and very delighted with the, the ground you've picked. Uh, I don't think people will be surprised if they, they learn it's the Cardiff Arms Park, the old one, not the Principality slash Millennium. Yeah, what I've done is I've sort of cheated, really, because, I mean, Cardiff Arms Park technically these days would be the Cardiff ground, and it always was the Cardiff ground. And then the old National Stadium was the Cardiff Arms Park National Stadium. So what I'm referring to is the Cardiff Arms Park National Stadium. But I might have thrown on my questionnaire, I might have thrown a bit about the principality as well. I don't know. But um, the caveat for that is that a big part of the old stadium is still sticking through, intruding into the new stadium. So it's almost like, like a Maltese church has been built around the old one. Good reference that. Be to Malta? I would love to go to Malta. If you were, that, that reference would be another level, honestly. <laughs> I'm sure someone who's listening has been to Malta, and they're applauding right now. They'll be loving that. Maybe they're just on a tube, and they've just punched the air, and they've gone, yeah. this is a great booking. Well done. I say bloody hell, he's well-traveled well, he's well and well-read that book, Bubbins. Maltese churches. Ah, oh, super. But before we get, get on to uh, Cardiff, and before we get derailed by uh, Mediterranean islands and, and their whatever architecture that they have, last week we spoke to the wonderful Dot and Adebayo about White Hart Lane. And I know you're a huge NFL fan, and I know you've been to the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to watch your Packers. What was that like? Incredible. I mean, we lost, so that wasn't ideal. But I finally got to see Aaron play. So it's the third time I've seen the Packers and the first time I've seen Aaron. Yeah, but the stadium itself is something else. It's beautiful. I mean, I, you, you, it's easily it's easily comparable to the, to, the, to the really good American stadium. It is getting to it and from it is a bit of a pain in the bum. Um, and we don't really do car parking in this country because of where stadiums tend to be. But the actual stadium and the experience and the view is something else. And it, yeah, it is an amazing place. The, and the, the field itself looks stunning. And I think that they sort of bring it in and out is is crazy yeah amazing place i've watched some nfl there too and the whole experience of that new stadium i don't know what it's like for football but is it's a it's one that i encourage people to get to because it is next level and it is like what you mm. say it's taking that american stadium concept what they've done with atlanta or what they've done with vegas or la yeah, yeah. and we've got a little piece of that in london that's nice to have but we'll go back and we will talk about cardiff and, and the cardiff arms park now when I think of Cardiff Farms Park or the Cardiff Farms Park National Stadium, the first image that comes to my mind is possibly the greatest rugby union try of all time, the Gareth Edwards Barbarians try. I'm guessing, you know, you as a very, uh, very small boy, you weren't there for that one. I wasn't there for that one. I was, I was one year old. Um, yeah. my, my best mate, Nicky, who now lives over in Calgary, his mum was there. I know people say, you know, I was there, but so Carol's, uh, her name is, her friend worked for the Athletic Club, for Cardiff Athletic Club. And there's this symbiotic relationship between the Athletic Club and, and the National Stadium. So there are tickets for that. But I mean, if you speak to people, it's, it's a bit of a joke in Wales that, you know, I think there's sort of like half a million people went to see that game in 73 and the seats like 55,000. So, but she was one of the ones that actually was there. But that would have been some. But in those days, I mean, the, the state of the pitch and, it would flood all the time. It's right by the river, so they, they would have floods and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, no, I missed that one, 73. I think my first one was 82, so it wasn't that long after that. And you're going as quite quite a young man there. I mean, you're not even a man. I think it's fair to call you a boy. You're going, you think <laughs> yeah. you're, your your first uh, Five Nations game, uh, 1982, Wales versus Scotland. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure it was 82. It was 82 or 83. I think it was 82. Yeah, Wales, Scotland. And I had, I had the Welsh Rub Union used to do a ticket, I don't know if they still do it, but it was called the uh, the Juveniles Enclosure. 
So in the old stadium, the east side was uncovered. It was East Terrace. And there was East Terrace up and East Terrace lower, behind the post. So part of East Terrace lower, a section of that near the corner, was the juvenile enclosure for under 12s. Just a great, you know, great idea that it would just be full of school kids. And Because I was always playing rugby for the school and got away with the PE teachers and, you know, in primary and in secondary. There was always a ticket there if you wanted it. So I think it was like £2.50. And it was for the juvenile enclosure. But I've still got the ticket. I've got all the tickets downstairs on stubs. Keep all my old tickets, stubs, and tickets in a frame. Yeah, so that was, uh, I think it was a British Coal International. I think they sponsored it on top of my head. I can't remember. 82, you're just missing those fantastic sort of Grand Slam teams of the 70s. The last Grand Slam, 78, isn't it? And I think you win the championship in 79. And But it's, I guess, you know, you're a young, impressionable boy. It's It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. They're your heroes. We were terrible for years then. Yeah, but we were rubbish for a long time in the 80s. I don't know if it was a combination of rugby league kicking in or what, but um, or Wales being a bit skint. But yeah, we just suddenly, for the next sort of six or seven years, we, we just didn't have a very good side. But I never missed a game. I used to go and watch all the home games. So we'd always have, it was always Blues, Homer away with with Wales. So it was, you know, if Scott, we, if we were Scotland away, we were Scotland and France away. And if we, were, if we were Scotland home, we were Scotland and France home, so... Yeah, I didn't miss a game for a long time. I'm trying to think of the last game. Oh, so that might be another question, but yeah, that, that first game was me and my friend Nick, I just mentioned earlier, going in there. I sort of vaguely remember my dad taking me to a game before that, but I, I, I can't remember that. I can just I remember going to a game with my dad and then getting really cold and wet and then throwing up on the way home. So I must have been younger than that. So that, that might have been late 70s or 1980. But the first one I remember is, is 82 Wales Scotland. You talk about the juvenile enclosure, which I think is um, a fantastic idea. I'm not sure it would fly nowadays in terms of telling their parents to just drop their kids off at one end of the stadium. And Imagine it. Yeah, no phones. No, no, yeah, no, no phones. Uh... No stewards, no toilets, no food. And the East Terrace Lower, it, it's a, it, people think it's uh, apocryphal, but it's true. Because we, we were underneath the East Terrace Upper, obviously. Especially if you played like, you know, the Scots used to love a drink. Well, we all do in rugby, but I mean, they seem to really go for it, the Scots boys. You'd be in the East Terrace lower, juvenile enclosure, and wondering why it had started raining. And there'd be like Scottish fellas above you relieving themselves. Well, not just Scots. It's a terrible, terrible slur on the Scottish nation. I'm sure they're all nations doing it. But um, I, I do remember seeing lads in kilts having a pee. That's, a, that's an image. When you said underneath it. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I I thought getting a few coins uh, from from an upper terrace was bad. I'll drop I'll drop you off of the rugby. You know, I'll see you in two hours. Try not to get pissed on by the Scots boys. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you can. And that, then you went back to get pissed on by the French boys, yes. and the next year by the English and the Irish anyone. and and any- Welsh lads. They wouldn't care. <laughs> My dad. Anyone. It's sort of like a. It's sort of a, a, a like an, a, a university rugby initiation ceremony, but just done on a mass scale isn't it it was weird in those days as well because it was quite scary you know because it was terraces it was it was shoulder to shoulder you know and um but you could you could sort of jump up in the air on the way out and get carried out without your feet touching the floor there'd be just big throng of people heading out of the of the national stadium yeah great days man 
of those days when you go in, let's stick with when you're still in the juvenile enclosure because I, I you know we'll get to a bit later on later on any particular i know you said wales aren't the greatest at that point but there are some highs you know you finished third in the first world Rug- uh, rugby world cup in 87 i think there's a championship or a share of the championship in 88 are there any particular memories that sort of stand out stand out from there or maybe it's not even a playing memory you know maybe it's you know just a i, I remember going to see those games so like i said it was it was we had five or six years in the doldrums which we did and then 87 things picked up that, i remember that first rugby world cup because it was New Zealand. Our transmitter, our local TV transmitter, where, where I lived, we couldn't access it because of where the house was. So we had to get the sort of West Country TV, even though we were South Wales. But I, I'd look at the, the listings to see when Wales, Wales were playing. And me and my dad would set the alarm to get up at like six o'clock in the morning to watch Wales play in the first World Cup. Sat, you know, make a cup of coffee, sit downstairs, turn the TV on. And it would just be static. They weren't showing the Wales game on, on West Country television. Yeah, I mean, that, that side then. So I remember going to see like Jonathan Davis and Yain Evans. And, and we thought, here we go. This is, you know, things are looking up. Devereaux and Gibbs. Obviously, Gibbs was later on. Gibbs was 90. But there was always that thing. Before rugby went open, there was always the possibility that those boys would, would leave. You know, so I remember, I remember seeing Jiffy play. And it was stunning to watch him play live. And then he was gone. Like he went to, you know, he went to rugby league. And I think that first World Cup was... If you listen to the boys talk about it, that were there, especially the, some of the Welsh lads who were there, they couldn't believe that, like the New Zealand boys and Australian boys, couldn't believe that the Welsh boys had actual real jobs, like forty hours working in steelworks or working in, and then were supposed to train twice a week and play on a Saturday. Because even though rugby was amateur, it was it was an open secret that a lot of those lads didn't have jobs to speak on. David Campese called himself rugby's first millionaire, yeah. sort of o- open defiance of uh, the am- amateurism at the time. And you had you had some crazy situations because um, this is an opportunity for me to plug now, but I've got a book coming out about the Rugby World Cup, not, not just 87, but the whole thing. And Mike Harrison, who was England's captain from the wing in 87, if they'd have got to the semi-finals, if they got past the quarterfinals, he didn't have permission to be there from his work he'd have had to have rung back up and gone I'm kind of the England captain we're in the semi-final of the World Cup can I please stay here and it's just crazy to think of the state that this this game that was bringing 50,000 people crazy you know a few times a year all together all paying their money in everyone getting paid apart from the players everybody everybody was getting paid but not the players and that's interesting you weren't even allowed to I remember I was watching a thing about uh, was it about Phil Bennett or about um, but yeah you weren't allowed to meet up within 48 hours of a game you weren't allowed to meet up back in the day, in the, in the, in the strict mm. amateur times. So he said they got the Arms Park the ones to, to practice. He was, I think he was meeting Gareth Edwards to just go through like nine to ten. And the groundskeeper was was uh, very strict. Old union bloggers said, "Well, you can't, you can't, you're not having a ball. We're not giving you a ball. You're not supposed to be meeting each other. You're not supposed to be practicing t- two days before a game." Yeah. So we said they had to roll up a, one of the boys' blazers into a, like a knot, and we're passing a blazer back and forth because the. Because they wouldn't give him a rugby box, it was it was within the window of when they weren't supposed to be doing any practice before before a rugby match. It was Wales, it was Scotland, it was Ireland who were the real defenders of amateurism. The French didn't really care. England could see a way of sort of making money out of it, but it was uh, in the end, it was actually Wales who flipped. There was a Welsh representative on the IRB who flipped and gave the authorization for the for the first Rugby World Cup to go ahead. We lost so many good players. If you look at it, mm. look at over the years of the players that went north from from Wales, it was crazy. Like from the full of fifties and sixties onwards, really. 
And in the end, we just thought, we can't keep doing this. We're only a small nation. We can't keep losing all our best players to rugby league. So, yeah, there we go. I knew, I knew there was a really good doc on TV uh, in Wales a couple of years ago um, talking about that, talking about rugby league and, and the impact of Wales. I remember, that. I remember thinking, you know, I'm amazed people like Gareth Edwards didn't go to rugby league when he was the best scrum half in the world. I remember he was never approached. And he talked to us, he was approached. He was on the train, he was going, you know. He, he, he got off the train and went back, went back home. It wasn't that he it wasn't that he wasn't approached. It was the opposite. He just thought, "Oh, can I do this?" Didn't do it. So, so um, yeah. But I kept watching him. I kept watching. I got my tickets from like eighty two, eighty three, eighty four. There was secondary school, eighty five, eighty six. Kept plugging away, and then we we got okay then for a bit in, in the sort of late eighties. Yeah. In that late eighties period, you've got that great Welsh team, but you're also a sort of promising youth player at that time, aren't you? Mm-hmm. There must have been a time when you were going there thinking, "This is going to be me one day." I'm going to play here. I was hoping. I, I, I wasn't thinking. I was hoping. I was thinking, you know, it sounds big-headed, but I was I was the best player in my school. And I was the sort of one of the better players in my county. And then you end up sort of playing for East Wales. And then you end up getting the sort of Welsh school squads and thinking, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And you hope it does. Uh, it didn't happen for me. I, mean, I played there at youth level, um, club level. But yeah, I never played there. But I, mean, I remember going there for a Schweppes Cup final, which used to be the Welsh club final. It used to be a big day out. And uh, I remember going and taking a piece of the turf after the game because everyone came on the pitch after the game when they did the, the presentation for the captains. And there was a piece of, like a divot, someone had obviously kicked, had made a divot to a, kick a, a penalty or something. And I just picked this divot of turf up, put it in my pocket. And when I went home, I had a little, uh, like a butcher's, like a polystyrene tray, put it in there. And I used to water it and try to keep it keep it alive. But it, it, it eventually died. But yeah, that was my little bit of the, um, the old house park that I kept for a while. It's, it's interesting that WRU, when they came to rebuild and build the Millennium for, for the 99 World Cup, they chose to locate it in that same place because I don't suppose they'd have had to, but it, I guess that place just has a lot of meaning to all Welsh rugby fans. Well, there was a, it was an ongoing thing for a long time around that. I remember that period of time because they were, there was talk about taking it out of town and putting it in Bridgend and taking it out outside of the city limits so we could have some parking and getting sort of... Ru- park and ride a bit like you got a Murrayfield I suppose but actually planned from you know but there was uproar about that from from all the sort of because I mean if you've been you've been to Cardiff for, for an international the whole of the town centre is buzzing and I you know it's the only stadium I've ever been to where you can literally walk out of the gate and you are on the best pub street in the city and there's just pubs everywhere and there's you know there's, there's everything you want restaurants pubs clubs bars whatever it's right there so it must have been a monumental pain in the ass to build it there from scratch. I remember thinking they were crazy, and I'm, I've criticised the Welsh Union on numerous occasions for various things. And I, at the time, was thinking they're mad; they're never going to get this done by '99. This is never going to get finished because they were having to bring stuff up the river on boats and things. And this was a a really congested old middle of a city with a river on one side and sort of um, you know flats on the other side and. There was nowhere to build it, you know. There was nowhere to get stuff in and out, and they did it. I mean, fair play to them. They haven't they haven't done a lot right recently, but they they got that right. I mean, and it goes right down to the wire. I don't know if you've ever gone back and looked at the um, the footage of the opening game, but there's the scaffolding and the yeah, yeah. girders still yeah. inside the stadium, yeah. and, it, and it's just like I don't understand how they start. Well, there were two games before that, before the last two games before the World Cup were sort of half built, but they, they had to play, play the game because they, they had bills to pay, you know. So they played two games with limited capacity, like half-finished stadium, and then everyone in the press and everything, they're, they're never going to do this. 
But like you said, it was done. But there was still like the sound of drills and stuff going on. And... It's weird if you think about it, going back to the millennium, and this is broader than the sports point, but there was so much pessimism about like the country's ability and or you know to complete projects. I mean, it's well founded. Possibly, yeah. The Millennium Dome was not, was not going to be ready on time. The Millennium Stadium wasn't going to be ready. There was the Millennium. It was just like it was a it was a proper sort of doom and gloom time where whenever we tried mm. to sort of do these big projects, we we seem to not quite fail, but I guess muddle through in a sort of. But I think in Wales would be a case, you know, where if you were thinking that things wouldn't get done properly by the Welsh Rebellion, Union, you know, there was a good chance you were right about that because the way it was run, the way it was, the way it was organised, and but they did it, you know, against against all the odds. It's never it never fully worked. It was twenty four years old, you know, the, the barcode readers on the on the gates haven't worked since the day they put them in. You know, there was all this stuff that was going to happen that didn't happen. There was going to be like this plaza outside with these things and that didn't happen. Then there was going to be an open space to relax. That didn't happen. There's going to be this amazing boardwalk on the side of the stadium. They've got a boardwalk, but it's not particularly brilliant. You know, the loads of things didn't happen. But I think that's that's part of the charm of it. You go in there, you can still 25 years later see all the conduit and you can see all the wiring and you can see all the breeze blocks and you can see all the, you know, the scanners don't work. I love all that though. That's part of it. What my nan would have called all fur coat and no knickers. You know, I can, I can remember when they, when they suddenly couldn't, they couldn't shut the roof sometimes. And then the pitch wouldn't grow, and then the mud, you know, the, the earth didn't work, and then they brought it on pallets, and that didn't work, and they, they kept. But it's part of the charm of it. It's just it's not perfect by a long stretch, but it's 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 a beautiful looking thing. It's a wonderful looking stadium. I've, I've had some great nights in there. So the charm of it and the the essence of it is the area that it's in because you do get to have that amazing build up to a game. I've been to a couple of. Um, internationals there i've been to a heineken cup final there as well that area pubs absolutely spoilt for choice if you could sort of plot your sort of perfect match day pub crawl where would where would you go where would you start well i used to live in canton so it was a nice walk into the stadium probably be the boy house then we would frequently we would nip over the road to the duke of clarence which is no longer there walk down from the duke of clarence possibly pop in the insole which is now offices unfortunately but then you get the bottom of Canton, which is, and then we there's a couple of places on there that we still like. So there was the where was there? There was the Foresters, and there was the King's Arms, and there was the there's a few. But the, the one that was always a sort of halfway that we we are there is to walk to the bottom of Canton before the river. It was the Westgate Hotel on the corner, which is a big Brains pub, and Brains is the big Welsh brewery. That was always where we stopped. Always stop in the, in the Westgate, then over the bridge into the stadium. And then after the stadium, you'd have this loads. There's the City Arms, and there was the old arcade, the great rugby pubs. Um, yeah, it's just a brilliant, brilliant day out. It still is a great day out. It's not like that. That hasn't changed. What a couple of those, the pubs I mentioned earlier, away from town, have closed, being being what it is these days. But all those lovely t- pubs in the middle of town, you know, you can still get a beer in the, you have a good night in the City Arms, still have a good night in the old arcade. You can still all those, the middle of town pubs are still there, and it's, it is it is unique to, to walk out. I remember I was listening to some fellow was talking about he lived across the road from Lambeau Field and he said he's that close to it in Green Bay. They wait till they see the flight past and then they walk into the stadium and get their seat. Well, it's the same in the stadium. You know, you, you can be in the city arms with a pint. You can hear the anthems and then go in and you won't miss the kickoff. But for, for the people who are listening who have not been to that park, you're talking about the, these free gate pubs. They are a stone's throw from each other. You can stagger half cut between them and you'll be fine no it's the width of the road from the gate to the city arms is probably 
30 feet. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit more to the old arcade. Yeah. Try not to get lost in Tiny Rebel, although if you do, that's fine. Worst places to be lost. If you get to the Owen Glendua, maybe you've gone a little bit too far and turn around. I'll try the Owen is where, is where, on a, is where you get like the touch rugby games between pissed fans on a international days getting tackled into a bin or something it's great fun oh yes that lovely amount of space just between that and the st david shopping center that's it yeah although recently when i've been going but there's been like welsh nationalist protests there well he was the uh he was the last sort of prince of wales wasn't he well in an inspired in an inspired moment they did those sort of limited uh coronation red white and blue post boxes and the one they chose for cardiff was the one outside the glow england door which was a great move it was getting vandalised about every three minutes. I was in there. I forget. I think I was in there for an, for a Wales France game, the one that they played on Friday night a couple of years ago. Awful idea. An um, awful idea, um, but a fantastic night out. I've got to yeah. be honest. I don't remember yeah. the game at all, and that's my fault. But I was in there, and obviously you're in the England up. They've got all the Six Nations bunting out, but they've taken all the England flags off the bunting. <laughs> Have they? <laughs> It's a bit petty. Which is fine, and I don't mind that. But at the same time, they were showing an England cricket one-day international on the TV. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been to the Ashes in Cardiff. Have a minor bit of consistency. And that, a lovely ground as well. Again, walkable from where we are. And they're all close. Yeah, they're right there. The covenant of the area was by the, I'm going to say the... The Lord Butte. Marquis of Butte. Marquis of Butte. The area specifies that this land can only be used for recreational purposes. And that's why you've got the bowls club, yeah. you've got the stadium, you've got the cricket ground, and you've got this fabulous sort of city centre sporting theatre. Oh, it's brilliant. And just parks, just you know, just loads of parks all sort of interlinked. Yeah, you've got the cricket, you've got the rugby. Yes, it's a beautiful part of the world. Very lucky. So I want to talk about... A few other games, if you don't mind. I'm expecting you, well, there's a 50-50 chance that you'll hang up on, on this call now. One of the games where I first sort of really became aware of the Arms Park was 1991 mm-hmm. and Wales versus Western Samoa. Oh, God, I was, I was there for that. And I was there when we lost to Canada as well. Um, yeah, and the, the joke of the time was, we, you know, imagine we played all of Samoa because it was... Yeah, that was that, that was a good Samoan team as well. You know, this is, that always they always sort of brush over the fact that that was a really good Samoan team. But yeah, we should never have lost that game. Yeah, that was a dark that was a dark moment in Welsh rugby history. I think the Canada game was a bigger upset because I think Samoa were, were a really good team. I'm not saying Canada weren't a good side, but I think was it a sort of ground where the atmosphere could could turn quite quickly? Not really. It wasn't one of the sort of grounds that, that got on the team's back if you we were losing. Um, it was always a really good. Good atmosphere. This could be rose colour spectacles. But I mean, the last few years I've been to games and I haven't been for a, It's the first calendar year that I haven't been to see a, a game. Just the lack of singing, the lack of atmosphere there, killing it. I don't know, you know, I think it is the, the booze. I think it's I think it's people that are there for the, just for the crack and not for the rugby and the crack. Yeah, I, I don't remember it ever being, I remember it wasn't like we, we'd lose and, and everyone would leave. You know, I've been there, we got thumped by the England and thumped by France and, you know, People stayed till the end, though. It wasn't like people just walked off or people didn't stop singing and chanting and having a good time. I think you're right with the the modern stadium. I think hymns and arias still gets a good sort of good sort of play. The national anthem, obviously, but it can really quieten down during during bits and play. And I've I've obviously only gone to two Welsh defeats, and it's it's different when you're behind and all that kind of stuff. But in back in the day. It's a cliche, but that crowd was a 16th man at times, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. No, I'm going to generalise now, but I think when the, 
they need to appeal to a younger audience. I get it because the rugby audience is getting older, but the way they do it is wrong. Uh, and, and it's just getting shown up in stark contrast because the way they do the football is, is bang on, you know, um, and Wales have obviously punched above the weight with the football in recent years. So little things like I don't, I, I can't stand when they bring in people to sing the anthem. I can't stand when they pipe music in after every try. I can't stand people telling people to give it up. I can't. Yeah, if you if you if you smuggle a trumpet or a bugle in, fantastic, right? Or you brought a cockerel in, that's wonderful. That's all part of the theatre. Pressing a button on a switchboard is not, you know, and pumping out like bloody Guns and Roses. What are you doing? This it's a game of rugby. If you're trying, by the way, if you're trying to appeal to a younger audience, Guns and Roses Appetite for Destruction came out in 1988. Right, that isn't new stuff. That's the stuff I listened to when I was 16, and I'm 51. You know, I'm not. I'm not your key demographic. So, so, yeah, the atmosphere. I don't know what it is. It's definitely definitely changed. I, I, you sound like Victor Meldrew, but it is phones and TikTok and all the other sort of stuff as well, isn't it? We never dreamt of that in the day. It was like you go to town, I'll ring you later, and you might at ten o'clock in the evening you might phone home pissed. You might, you know, but that was it. You just out for the day, and it was a great crack, and you could drink before the game. I think what we used to do before, when it was a much shorter break at half time, you could. I don't. I'm. I'm. I might be making this up, James. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure you couldn't get a beer in, in a stadium, the old stadium. You know, but now it's like you got to get there two hours before, and they say it's for security. Like it's not security, mate. When when it was terracing as well, you had that trade off between giving up your spot and getting a beer with the reserve where everyone's got a seat. And everyone's, you know, can get back into that quite easily. Yeah. There's no opportunity cost in terms of going to get a beer, you know, except that you might miss a try, or but the, you know, the action's quite stop start. You can, you know, you can sometimes if you get a, if you see a scrum, you've probably got enough time to go and get a beer with the number of resets that you might get. Well, it was always it was always a bit of a gamble. I mean, there used to be so the East Terrace, so I've, all the east side of the of the stand of the stadium was standing. And so was the south enclosure. And I'm sure there was a north enclosure. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure on three sides that you could stand. And it was sort of the unwritten rule, as far as I was concerned, that if you wanted to have a piss where you were standing, you went in the enclosure. And if you wanted to stay in your seat, not have a piss because it'd be fucking ridiculous, you go in the stands. So, I mean, it, it wasn't like a golden time back in the day when no one went for a piss during the game of rugby. It didn't happen. They just didn't, they didn't make you get out of your seat to go for one. That's all. But if you're sat in a chair and every flipping three minutes you're getting up because someone's going for a beer, and it's not just a beer these days is the thing. That's the problem. There were there weren't there weren't forty five minute queues for the for the for the uh, the cubicles back in the day either. Is the, is the opening two final point on it? That's changed. That's changed a lot of it as well. And one of the things when I talked to you before this that you mentioned was you know some of your best memories from from the ground. You talked about the concerts, and that surprised me. And I went and had a look. In the late eighties, some, some, suddenly someone realised there's this amazing venue in the centre of Cardiff that can put on massive concerts. And it's David Bowie, it's U two, Michael Jackson, Simple Minds, and and the gig that you said that you know that you went to and, and thought was amazing was the Rolling Stones on the sixteenth of July, nineteen ninety. Oh, I was eighteen years of age. What a, what a day that was. Yeah. Baking off as well. It was brilliant. Yeah, but it's weird. I mean, I've been to I've been to Wembley for I went to see the the Who in Wembley about 
maybe three or four years ago. The acoustics were just bad. Like stadium acoustics tend to be not brilliant, right? But yeah, it just seemed to be a really good venue for music as well. The the, the way that it was shaped, I don't know. Yeah, so my sister saw. Who did my sister see? I think she saw you two there, and Michael Jackson there. I didn't. I saw the Stones there. I saw the Stones again there, like three or three or four years ago when they played the last time they played Cardiff, and they were still great. They were still great. But yes, it's a, it's a really good music venue, and and again, it's like because of where it is, it's, it's a great music venue. You know, because I don't, I can't think of other, I can't think of other grounds. Twickenham's sort of in the middle of nowhere. Murrayfield is is on a you know it's out of the city. It's not a, not the end of the world, but it's out of the city. Lansdowne Road is not bad. Uh, I haven't been to the Italy one. I meet up. I'm supposed to go next year with the wife, but that's that's out of the way. But you're in Italy, so it doesn't really matter. You take your time. It's nice. Yeah, and I haven't been to the, the new you know, the new French one. They've probably been playing there for 25 years now. <laughs> yeah, 98. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. The new French one I haven't been to, but I went to the old one. Yeah, the new, the new French one is newer than the new Cardiff one. That's right, yeah, that's the one. You know, having that, that ability to connect with a ground on, on multiple levels, and it really becomes... In a, in a city like Cardiff, which is a big city, there's no there's no doubt about it. But it's not a city that's so populous that it, it loses its sense of community. And having that one focal point for your sport, well, there's only really one downtown in in Cardiff. It's like, it's like three hundred fifty thousand, four hundred thousand people, something like that. Mm. There's only really one downtown. It's quite a it's, you know there's, there's there's obviously you've got your little yeah. towns within towns, but the main part of town, you would say, would be what's called St. Mary Street by the river. Well, that's, you know, the the stadium is right there. It's on Westgate Street. So it's, it couldn't be any more central than it is. There's no car park in there at all. There's a little bit underneath in the athletic club because there's just no room for it. So even when they built it, they, you know, they, they couldn't, there was all sorts of trouble at the time because they, they had to run in machinery through Cardiff Athletic Club's ground. And there was there was issues with that. And there was, a, you know, between the union and the, and the, the rugby club and all sorts of stuff. I don't know what, there's a reason that, that escapes me, you might know, there's a reason that that part of the stadium is still in, that part of the Arms Park is still in Millennium, and I don't know what it is, but there's a reason for it. I'm not calling the Principality, by the way, I refuse to. Is that protest against the Building Society or the term in general? Yeah, or both. <laughs> although, yeah, although, although I have got two Principality Savings accounts. I was going to say, did they, t- did they turn you down for a mortgage or something? And they, the- <laughs> <laughs> no, they did, that, that's, that's besides the point. <laughs> it's weird with, I mean, this is nothing germane to what we're talking about but it's weird when someone else comes in and sponsors a stadium that's already got a name and you think yeah. like we we i talked to on this podcast a couple of weeks ago uh the actor ruth madeley and we were talking about bolton's new stadium well it's not new it's you know again 25 plus years old and, and it's always it's always going to be the reebok stadium you know it's had three sponsors since then uh and it, i just the value of I, I just I don't, I don't get it i don't get the people who go yeah we'll We'll sponsor that. One of the name centre, yeah. I mean, I, I get why you get naming rights and I, I get the money and the, and the. But you can't expect the fans to buy into that. No. You can call it what you like, you know. If you if you want to call it the principality in all your literature, and get the principality in their box and 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 you know have their their name everywhere, that's brilliant. You know, you get the money for it and good luck to you. But you can't say to the, the fans, we've got to call it the principality now. Yeah. Well, no, I don't call it principality. I call it the Millennium Stadium. That's what I've called it in 99. That's what I call it now. Yeah. I've, we're both huge fans of American sports. And there's, and there's some ways that that often British fans, English, Welsh fans, a small amount of knowledge can deride America for its like 
overt commercialism and, and things like that. But they protect things, you know, the, the the lack of sponsorship on jerseys, for example, and keeping that keeping that sacrosanct and not making their fans sort of walking billboards and advertisements for whichever co- corrupt company has decided to sponsor them this season. It's it's quite nice. You don't read really, you don't see many advertising hoardings in the stadium either. And you can't put anything on the pitch, you know, like you can in rugby. But they do they do name the stadiums after, you know, Anheuser Busch and whatever these days. But I mean Yeah, I like I like it old school. It was always a big, the whole Arms Park thing was, was a confusion from the day one. When you're a kid you just assume that the Arms Park is the national stadium. And it was. And it's great. I mean that's my old club as I play my youth rugby at Cardiff and it is right there. So when you talk about the nearest pub, I mean when you were when you were when you've got your Cardiff Rugby Club membership and your tie on, well the nearest pub is actually in the stadium. So that was you know, that was nice. Walk down the ramp and have a point in the athletic club. And it kind of I mean, I don't know if you, you saw the um the women's six nations recently, mm-hmm. that was the perfect size ground to put that to the Wales England game there. So Well I took my daughter and my wife down to see it. And it was it was Oh awesome. It was a brilliant place to watch it, yeah. Lovely. Because for a long time, the the women, the Welsh women, played out towards where my father-in-law is. He he lives in Port Talbot, Aberavon, and they played a lot of mm. their games at, up at Aberavon. And it's just like, well, it's barely even a stadium. <laughs> it's not the place to put a, sort of a national team. So it was great down there. The decent crowd, you know, and, the, and it was a proper night out for the rugby. You know, you had your food vans and people having a beer and people in the in the kit and yeah, and it's it'll that'll grow and grow and grow. I hope. I think it's it's definitely it's definitely growing, and I think uh, you know to give World Rugby their credit, you know they've taken the quite progressive step of of dropping men's and women's from the name of the World Cup. We're just going to get a Rugby World Cup every two years. Oh, good! Every four years it'll be a men's one, and every four years it'll be a women's one. Oh, lovely idea. I like what the Rugby League have done as well, and they put the the disability rugby, you know, the sort of wheelchair rugby league, the women's rugby league. I went to see the Rugby League final up in Old Trafford. Mm. Uh, a couple of months ago, and that was the women's final first, and then the, and then the men's final afterwards. It was brilliant. I didn't know this, and you don't know this, and this is going to sound weirdly stupid. But you sat behind me, did I? Um, one, one t- I saw from your picture when you posted it. I was just like, oh yeah, he must have been like the, literally the tier behind me because uh, I had the Alex Ferguson stand. Yeah, but uh, like towards right towards the one the the, the try right. line. And that's where I was there. But Old Trafford, what an awful stadium! Oh, terrible. I thought you were going to say what a brilliant place I was going to disagree with you. I thought, my God. No, 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 no leg room. I'm so glad my mate bailed on me on the last... Well, because you were sat where I was. There we go. I was sat with my boy and, uh, weirdly, my, my builder. Uh, my mate was a builder. He was working on my house. He was a, he's a patron of the podcast. and we been having a chat. I said, fancy going to the rugby league final, mate? He went, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so so I gave him a ticket for that. We, the three of us went up. But um, I didn't know what to expect. Well, first of all, there's the, the trek into it. So it was nowhere near the middle of Manchester. No, Salford. And you're in quite a run-down area. There's like warehouses with smashed windows and stuff. That's a bit odd. Okay, you get it. But I got in there. There, there seemed to be an endless number of steps to get up to my seat. Mm. And when I, when I got there, you're in that Alex Ferguson stand. And this is, a, you know, this is one of the biggest football clubs in the world with a brilliant, proud history, right? You couldn't see any. Well, you'll know. You, I couldn't see any of the screens, so I couldn't see any replay screens. I couldn't really see what the score was. I thought, this can't be right. You know, there's, there was no... The pitch was, I could see all the pitch. There, there was no nothing blocking the view of the pitch. But I couldn't, I didn't know what was going on. You'd hear like, you know, yellow card, red card, tries, let's look at that again. I thought, well, I can't see anything from here. What a weird, what a, it's not fit for purpose, is it, for the modern day? 
Not at all. I could just see a little thin sliver of sort of like a 1990s sort of electronic like digital scoreboard. Oh, well, you, you, you must have been lower down than me because I couldn't see anything at all. I could see the pitch and the roof of the, the, roof of the stand. Oh, man. No, it's, um, <laughs> it, was, it was so weird. And I hadn't been to Old Trafford for about 10 years. I wonder what, I wonder what the Manx think of it. They must love it because it's tied in. It's, it's history, isn't it? But they must want a better place. I don't know. I think they do. I think there's a lot of criticism of the Glazer family. And, and if... There's just no investment in it. And it looks, well, there we go. Back to my fur coat, no knickers. You get that. I have the photograph taken outside. It looks space age. The old Trafford sign, all lit up, and you got that little, little mini plaza outside. I thought, God, this is gonna be amazing now. And you get in there, I was like, Christ. Yeah, you wish you stayed outside with the food trucks and all of that, but, you know, because <laughs> when she got in there, it was, uh, and it, and it didn't, Crazy. it didn't help that the games weren't any good that day. But never mind. No, they weren't. Much. But no, I mean, what the rugby league did, you were, you know, in terms of the inclusiveness of, of of that tournament, having three World Cups in the same space, I think rugby league do so much well, and it's such a shame that they don't get the same publicity as Union. And I just, you know, yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of respect for rugby league, and yeah. you know, there's proper diehards who love who love rugby league, and I'd love to do like one of the great like rugby league grounds on this podcast, like a Central Park in Wigan or some or something like that, the Nosedy Road Road. But again. All the grounds that are gone, all the grounds that have gone and moved on. Yeah. Before we close and, and wind up what has been a lovely and delightful chat, are there any games that you'd like to go and revisit? If you could go back to the stands and maybe pick one or two games, what would you? Uh, what games from Cardiff Arms Park would you like to see again? Hmm. There's two. What one would be? I'd love to go back and and watch 18 year old me playing in a Welsh youth final there because um, we just had uh, like a grainy old VHS camera from one fixed camera of it I'd like to go back there and see what that was like you know mum and dad were there and it was just you know, to, to win to win a trophy on that when you've grown up wanted to play on there and my the closest I ever got to it was that was that was a Welsh Cup final for Cardiff and we, we beat Abtelary in the final just to play on it was something else and there was probably about 500 people in the stadium right so it was you know it's not like a college game in america and then but then go back to but you were in the same showers and the same dressing rooms as us you know so that was brilliant i'd love to go back and see myself there as a, as a young carefree 18 year old with a with a bit of an anger issue i'd love to go back and see that um and then as a spectator as a spectator i would say and it, it'd be the millennium it wouldn't be the uh, Arms Park, but it was when we beat England about 10, 11 years ago. My best friend was over, Nicky was over from Canada with his mate um, who'd never left Canada, but a rugby fan, a couple of years older than us. And he'd had a Welsh PE teacher in Canada growing up. So we used to like put the tapes on, all of the reel to reel, you know, and watch, make, make him watch like Welsh rugby games from the 70s. So he was, he was even though he's a Canadian who'd never left the country, he was a big Welsh rugby fan. So we get to the stadium. We had a great day. We had a little Canton pub crawl, proper old school. We get in the Angel Hotel across was where this team used to stay back in the day. They weren't there then. But we get in the Angel Hotel. And with that, the Cardiff male voice choirs there all singing, like on the steps in the, in the blazers. And he, he couldn't believe that. And then, you know, just the whole atmosphere he'd been in town was blowing, was blowing his, his mate away. And then we get into the stadium, me, Nick, and his mate, and uh, decent seats. The dome it was shut as well. It was closed. And being a Canadian, you know, they would have been like 60 odd then, I suppose. I think they would have probably sung God Save the Queen at some point, you know, as their national anthem as well. And they're, you know, so 
God Save the Queen that day was quite loud. It was quite, the English fans sang it really well. And he, he got all emotional. He said, oh my God, this is, this is too much. I said, well, you wait till the Welsh National Anthem. And that came on and the, it was nuts. And it was one of those few games, James, right? There's times and space, times and places where you see it. You'll see the preamble to a game and think, there's no way we can lose this. There's no way we can lose this game. The atmosphere was, you saw about a 16th man, it was electric. So the atmosphere was superb. We, we belted the anthem out. I turned around and Nicky's mate is crying his eyes out. He just, he's just overcome with emotion. And then in the first half, we spanked. We, I think we scored three or four tries in the first half. Really put England to the sword. It was, it was a brilliant game to watch. And then he likes, he likes his metal music. So a mate of mine uh, runs a thing called the Fuel Bar in town. So I phoned him up and I said, mate, can you play some, uh, and there's a bit of a metal bar. His favorite track I asked him was, a, was a, uh, I think it was Since You've Been Gone by Rainbow, right? I said, mate, can we get in? You know, this is, I got my mate and his mate from Canada over. He said, yeah, come to the front of the queue. There are massive queues everywhere. And just tell him, um, I'll, put, I'll put you on the list. So we've had a fantastic game. We've had a, we've had a Canton pub crawl. We've been to the Angel Hotel. We've seen the Cardiff Arms Park Choir. We've gone to the game. The roof's closed. The anthems are belting. We've just smashed England. We've come out of there. We've had a few beers with the English boys. We snuck a tip flask in as well. We get out of the ground. We go to this, this fuel bar on Wombey Street, which is right around from the City Arms. It's 100 feet from the, from the gate. Massive queue. We've got the front of the queue. We get in. I see my mate Rob as the manager. He gives me a little wink. He starts playing Since You've Been Gone by Rainbow. I was like, come on, what? It's one of those days you want to, if it was Ground Dog, if that was Ground Dog Day, you would be over the moon. It was just, it was the best day. So I would love to go back and, re- and relive that. That sounds phenomenal. It's, um, yeah. it, and I know there's a game involved there and a great game yeah. and the one that you've won, but it's, it's the best sporting experience. The sport, can become almost incidental because it's it's the time 100%. that you get to spend with your mates and that the look that you'll have from from seeing your from, from your your friend's mate and you know the, the look in his face either at the anthem or when he know when you've seen you when you've made that effort to get that song played for him it must have yeah mm. I've I wish I could have been there that would have that would have been a lovely that would have been a lovely <laughs> yeah. moment and um, mm, I'd love to go back it would be, it would be if we could it would be so it would be phenomenal and you know as a slight aside I introduced my daughter to that song this weekend did you really uh, she's five years old I did because she loves rainbows and do, I was, do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah it's her new favorite song Dark, she was I was and she's bouncing around the kitchen she, I was just like, well, you like rainbows. There's one song I know by the band called Rainbow. Let's play it to Come death, on. and she loves it. Oh, so, awesome. Uh, awesome. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see where she goes with that. But, uh, Mike, um, I don't want to keep you any longer. It's been a fantastic chat. Thank you for coming on the Ground Jewels and sharing your memories of both the Arms Park and the, and the Millennium Stadium. And, um, yeah, we wish you well. Thanks a lot, James. Lovely, mate. What a, what a lovely podcast. The lovely lovely Mike Bubbins, fantastic man, fantastic moustache, uh, and some lovely memories of his time at Cardiff and also the Millennium Stadium. Wasn't expecting that. Played a little bit of fast and loose with the format, but that's okay. You know, Cardiff Arms Park, Cardiff Arms Park National Stadium, the Millennium Stadium. Yeah, you could say they're three different stadiums. They're fine. It's fine. We can talk about them. We're an inclusive, we're a friendly bunch here. I cannot recommend, just like, you know, and a, a, a day at the rugby in Dublin, fantastic. A day at the rugby in Cardiff, 
equally fantastic. Two of the top sporting experiences that you can have. Um, and if you get the chance to either of them, please do take that. I said before, I was going to mention a little competition. Uh, and lots of people have been incredibly complimentary about the artwork of the podcast. I can take no credit for it. Uh, the fantastic Luke Williamson has, has designed the podcast artwork and he's kindly allowed us to uh, give give away some of his art uh, in the form of a competition. So all you have to do to enter to win one of Luke Williamson's wonderful prints and there's rugby grounds there, there's cricket grounds, lots of lovely old football grounds there. Go and check that out at lukewilliamsonart.com is nominate a ground you want to see included in the ground jewels. And that's it. Just give us your name, the ground you want to include, and obviously an email so we can contact you if you're a winner. That's it. Just tell us the ground you want, your name, and how to get hold of you if you are the winner. It could be a golf course, a racing track. It could be the Crucible in Sheffield. We're definitely going to do the Crucible in Sheffield at some point. It could be a football ground. It could be a new stadium, an old stadium, one that doesn't exist. Take it wherever you want. Britain. Europe, further afield. Oh, someone nominate some baseball stadiums, please. College football stadiums, uh, maybe even hockey arenas. I don't know. I suspect they're all the same on the inside. I don't. I'd love to get more into ice hockey, but I just don't have the time. Um, but yeah, anything you want: cricket, baseball, rugby union, rugby league, football, uh, shinty. Is there a great shinty ground out there that I don't know about? Please let me know. Nominate your favourite ground jewel and we'll try and get some interesting guests on the podcast to discuss it. Until next time, thank you very much. Thank you.